I am in my mother's room. It's I who live there now. I don't know how I got there. Perhaps in an ambulance? Certainly a vehicle of some kind. I was helped. I'd never have got there alone. There's this man who comes every week. Perhaps I got here thanks to him. He says not. He gives me money and takes away the pages. So many pages. So much money. Yes, I work now. A little like I used to, except that I don't know how to work anymore. That doesn't matter, apparently. What I'd like now is to speak of the things that are left, say my goodbyes, finish dying. They don't want that. Yes, there is more than one, apparently, but it's always the same one that comes. You'll do that later, he says. Good. The truth is, I haven't much will left. When he comes for the fresh pages, he brings back the previous week's. They are marked with signs I don't understand. Anyway, I don't read them. When I've done nothing, he gives me nothing. He scolds me. Yet I don't work for money. For what then? I don't know. The truth is, I don't know much. For example, my mother's death. Was she already dead when I came? Or did she only die later? I mean, enough to bury. I don't know. Perhaps they haven't buried her yet. In any case, I have her room. I sleep in her bed. I piss and shit in her pot. I have taken her place. I must resemble her more and more. All I need now is a son. Perhaps I have one somewhere. But I think not. He would be old now. Nearly as old as myself. It was a little chambermaid. It wasn't true love. The true love was in another. We'll come to that. Her name? I've forgotten it again. It seems to me sometimes that I even knew my son. That I helped him. Then I tell myself it's impossible. It's impossible I could ever have helped anyone. This is Dark and Stormy Nights the podcast where we read the first page, and only the first page, of every novel ever written. I'm your host, Ben Blackberg. And I'm your other host, Ben LeBate. And today, we're reading the first page of Molloy by Samuel Beckett, first published in 1955 and recommended by Twitter user YesOKFine. Just a moment of appreciation for that name. And our guest today is Tom Perrin. Hello, Tom. Hi. Welcome. So the traditional question is, uh, are you familiar with this work or this author? Well, I'm familiar with this author. I'm a, I, I do really like Beckett. I, I tend to, or well, I don't teach anymore. I'm mostly an administrator nowadays. But um, when I used to teach, I used to teach Beckett's plays uh, quite a lot. But I hadn't read Malloy, so I sort of thought this would be you know, a reason to, to read it. I only made it through part of it. I, I ran out of time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm quite familiar with Beckett, but not so much with this work. Do 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 the kids these days like the plays of Beckett? Um, I no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe they do. It, it, it takes a lot to. I think it ta- it takes a. My memory is it takes a 
fair bit to get over the the difficulty of of Beckett, you know. And I mm-hmm. would teach, I would teach the shorts. I would I I would teach not I and um, oh god, I should have prepped. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, I, I would teach some of the short drama, and the, and it's I mean it's a lot like this actually. It's a lot. There are these characters who only seem to have a partial kind of consciousness and a partial kind of memory um, and seem to exist in a sort of space somewhere between living and dying. And, and I think that's hard to get your head around. Yeah, I have my, my knowledge of Beckett uh, is probably the exact same knowledge of Beckett that every theater kid from the late 90s has, mm. uh, which is to say that I have seen parts of Waiting for Godot uh, and I'm familiar with it conceptually and in in small bits mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a very popular play amongst theater young theater nerds to talk about <laughs> See, I, I recall reading godot in high school uh where it was assigned and hating it um uh, other other books i hated from that period include uh the great gatsby mm-hmm. um and a few other books that i've since revisited and been like oh now I understand. Uh, and there's something about, I, I feel like I, I remember enjoying uh, watching some, some version of uh, Waiting for Godot. You know, when you're watching it and you're like, oh, there's, there's some comedy here. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say that I think that probably it has more appeal to the theater nerds because when you see it, the humor mm-hmm. becomes more evident. Yeah. I feel like that was always that was one of the things that you were, one was supposed to say about Beckett when I when I was <laughs> when I did undergraduate theatre. You know, that someone the first thing someone would always say was, "Oh well, of course you have to remember that he's funny." You know, his his characters <laughs> his characters are all oh, they're clowns. You know, they they um, yeah. and then you, everyone would sort of say, "Oh yes, of course." Yes. Um, that, and then there would be some discussion of like whether he wrote it in French originally or not. I, I will say though that. Uh, I was, uh, even though I have grown in appreciation of uh, Godot, I don't think that I could be said to necessarily like it uh, or want to like sit through it necessarily. Mm. I feel like Beckett would be offended by the concept of someone liking his work. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, but, 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 but with this first page, which I was somewhat dreading getting into, <laughs> I found it very personable. And perhaps it is merely being uh, 40-something-year-old that I, I, I now relate to the idea of someone being sort of between life and death and uh, <laughs> yeah. like only semi-conscious. Uh, but yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom, how, how far did you get into this book? Uh, let me see. I got about a quarter of the way through. And I, should, I mean, I should finish it. I didn't kind of give up in disgust or anything. I just, mm-hmm. I just ran out of time. Oh, here, here's a question. What was the last book you gave up on in disgust? Oh, oh, um, or, or despair. Uh, there was a book. God, I can't remember what it was called now. It's by Susan Hill, who wrote The Woman in Black, and it's from her detective series, the Simon Seralia detective series. And it's called something like The Evil That Men Do or something. <laughs> and it's, it's, a, it's a detective novel that... Um, he he like the detection all the detection completely fails um it, it's about the abduction of, and murder of children and and the detective doesn't ever manage to get a suspect they don't manage to catch anyone they just sort of spin mm-hmm. their wheels and what is 
what I remember finding so painful about the book is that it's it's not marketed as a sort of clever spin on the you know a kind of existential mm. spin on the detective novel. It's marketed as an absolutely straight take as a detective. Yeah, weird. It's the cover is a detective novel cover that kind of black with the author's name in big writing and stuff. And it's like you get in there and it's like, oh no, I've been <laughs> tricked. You know, when I and I I I I feel like I generally read detective novels for like reassurance of some kind. And and mm-hmm. now I have to have this like child getting murdered and and no justice of any kind even nearly happening. I I threw it across the room. Hmm. Yes, I, I I haven't read her books before. But just looking at these covers and titles, uh-huh. it feels very straightforward in a way that, like, I don't know. Did you, did you ever read uh, Smilla's Sense of Snow? No. Uh-uh. That is also a novel uh, or like a detective or like mystery where, like, at some point you're like, oh, it doesn't really matter, the mystery. Yeah. Like, mm. Well, Susan Hill, I mean, if, I don't, if, don't know if you've read The Woman in Black, but it's, it's extremely self aware and it's, it's very postmodern and the chap you know the character names and the chapters and things are all takeoffs of other detective novel uh, ghost stories mm-hmm. horror novel sorry it's a ghost story that mm-hmm. um and so i sort of can't help thinking that she she did this deliberately that it's a kind of a long con with the you know um with this detective novel that not only did she seek to subvert the conventions of the detective novel but she she made sure that nobody would would know that she was doing it until after they'd already bought the <laughs> book you know <laughs> which is funny that's like uh one of the pieces of advice about writing that uh or like writing somewhat commercial fiction mm-hmm. of like like especially like in fantasy like if you're going to do just like a straightforward epic fantasy then like your first chapter should signal that to people yeah because like mm-hmm. if you do that for like 200 pages and then the last 30 is, you know, uh, postmodern, then like you've ruined your uh, epic fantasy reader's day and you've missed your postmodern readers who would actually mm-hmm. enjoy it. Yes, there you go. Well, that's kind of what happened with this detective novel. Hmm. Well, and speaking of modernism and, and, and post it, <laughs> uh, how about this page? So this is, this is an interesting page, like just in terms of general impression, because it's a page that I think is really good. And I cannot see myself reading a large volume of this because it is exhausting. <laughs> it is kind of, and it go, as it, there's not a plot to speak of as it goes mm-hmm. on, you know, which, which is <laughs> probably to be expected. But like, this is the beginning of, of one paragraph, which goes on for a page and a bit. And then the next paragraph goes on for 80 pages. Oh, there's paragraphs. <laughs> that there's a paragraph. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wonder, I mean, I, I, I wonder if part of why I enjoyed this page uh, was that I read it out loud. Mm. Like, mm. like my, 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 my first introduction to this page was like in that, that mixed medium of reading and uh, orality where like, it's like, oh, okay. Like, I don't know. I just, I just felt very uh, in the voice of this character, obviously, mm-hmm. since that's all that, that's, that's really all there is here. Although I do kind of wish that like maybe the third paragraph uh, on page 82 was <laughs> this character getting caught up in a mystery of some sort? Like, uh, my understanding from my brief glance at the uh, the wiki is that one of the like two other characters is a detective. So that's true. That is true. <laughs> I mean that, that 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 tracks with like how I feel about uh, a lot of uh, well, like modernist and postmodernist literature. 
that like, you know, a lot of it, I mean, the, the, the detective's job is to tell the story, right? Mm-hmm. Not, not mm-hmm. to rehash like, uh, I don't know, year, year, year one of grad school, uh, uh, Tom, but like the detective's job is to tell a story. So like, sure. naturally that's, it, it, it is kind of a form that certain people are attracted to. Well, you, of, uh, you often see it said that detective fiction was the only genre fiction that, that high modernism would, would get mixed up with. Mm-hmm. There, there was a, so, oh, like H.L. Mencken wrote for Black Mask magazine, is that right? And mm-hmm. T, you know, T.S. Eliot loved detective fiction. The, the comic book adaptation of, of uh, The Wasteland takes the form of a noir investigation. <laughs> mm. um, but yeah, it was like, it was like the, it was the genre that it was okay to, to mess around with if you, and, mm-hmm. and not lose all your credibility, you know? Yeah. Hmm. I wonder if it still is, or I feel like for a while, science fiction was uh, like the crossover. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think science fiction, speculative fiction is really certainly. If you, I don't know about if you're a writer, but if you're an academic, it's definitely the <laughs> the one that's okay to be. You know, at least the last conference I went to, which was three or four years ago. <laughs> yeah, I think we might be sort of wrapping around to the point where, like in the critical sphere, someone's like, "Oh, look, another extremely." you know, subversive science fiction novel. Yes, we've seen this all before. Subvert something else now. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think um, Ben Jeremy Rosen has an essay about about this stuff where he sort of points out that like a lot of people will say, oh, literary authors are doing genre fiction now. And they'll point to, I know, various people, Jonathan Lethem and Michael Atwood. Yeah. Um, But one of Jeremy's points is that it, it it never looks like real genre fiction. Mm-hmm. It's you know you can instantly tell that. I mean, I think that goes to what I was saying about that the um, Susan Hill novel, which which actually fools the reader into thinking it's going to be regular old detective fiction. And like m- most most literary fiction that pretends that it is genre fiction is instantly recognizable as not genre fiction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Speaking of books that I. Uh, that that we uh, didn't finish and discussed or wanted to throw across the room. But uh, I remember uh, Philip Roth's Plot Against America, uh-huh. uh, which uh, I probably have, I mean, I have some respect for, I think, but like as a novel of alternate history, and especially this was also one of those things where it was like the reception of it uh, made it worse probably because people were like, oh my gosh, like, did you know that you could write a historical novel that wasn't history and you're like, <laughs> like like this amazing thing that no one's ever done before where like hitler w- w- wins world war ii and you're just like like philip k dick is right there uh, <laughs> yeah. uh but yes anyway um uh yeah that's curious i wonder i mean uh sorry uh lost track with that flush of anger working through my body right now uh uh yes it, it's also it is funny uh, uh, definitely, I, I don't think that would happen now, these days. Like that reception, people would, I think, be more interested in the long history of such and such tropes. Mm. Uh, speaking of that, though, actually, uh, so I mean, so okay, back to this first page. Okay, yeah, uh, I am in my mother's room. Um, uh, does that first line draw you in? Does it do? Does it feel? Like it's been done before. Does does it does it echo? Uh, mother died today. Huh. 
uh, or maybe yesterday mm-hmm. of uh, the the stranger or like is there anything in that or is it just kind of like a blank canvas that you can just project on like I think that the the like specific cadence and phrasing of it does tell like give you a little bit more tone like it lets you know that you're not going into like a romance novel or like you know you can tell that this is a literary beckettish thing by just the like i am in my mother's room not i'm in my mother's room not any like detail any hint of what the relationship is the like the lack of anything there mm. is in itself kind of telling to me mm-hmm. yeah i mean i guess maybe coming into this like uh knowing it's beckett and mm-hmm. like seeing this cover which is like that beckett style of like <laughs> uh not really being a cover mm-hmm. uh, i mean it tells you everything you need to know the title the the author a novel and a couple of lines mm-hmm. um but yeah i felt very much like sort of in a black box theater yeah in that like like someone just could come on stage and be like i'm in my mother's room and like okay mm-hmm. like that's where we are uh but yes it does have a, a certain i don't know then you said like the the cadence of this does this feel like uh, I don't, uh did, well tom how do you how did you like did, did this seem like a, a like if you read this line out of context um uh, i don't know about i don't know about that line i feel like it i'm in my mother's room could be i mean could be the start of daphne du maurier or something <laughs> but um but but by the time we're a couple of sentences in i think it it begins to feel like beckett I mean, mm-hmm. we have, we have, it's I who live there now. So we have that sort of scrupulously correct. It's I mm-hmm. that, you know, feels too correct. Feels, um, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know how I got there. Perhaps in an ambulance, certainly a vehicle of some kind. <laughs> that, that fits, certainly a vehicle of some kind sounds a lot like Beckett. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, right. So now we've got this character who doesn't, who doesn't know how he got where he got mm-hmm. and, and doesn't know you know, what kind of vehicle he was brought in. Like, I feel like that that's the moment at which I start to think I'm in like mm-hmm. Beckett, Beckett lands now. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do like that. Sorry, you, you may have just seen me counting uh, syllables. Mm. But like those first three uh, sentences are pretty close. Yeah. Uh, and I, I do like that slide from like uncertainty. Uh, I'm in my mother's room. It's I who live there now mm. to uncertainty. I don't know how I got there. Perhaps in an ambulance. Well, certainly a vehicle of some kind, which is like a nice grasp for some sort of like what 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 do, what can I say here that is absolutely true? Yeah, yeah. Also, it it shifts from like the certainty to broad uncertainty of like I don't know how I got there to a kind of uncertainty about reality, like perhaps in an ambulance, certainly a vehicle. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. I have to narrow down the options to things that can be real. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I do. I, I I do love again. Like I I I wonder. I don't know. This, uh, you know, a, a question that we often ask is like, will you want to read more? And I I definitely feel like I I kind of want to read more Beckett, mm-hmm. if not this in particular, but like just something because like I don't know. I just <laughs> I just I was I just kept laughing. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, again, maybe maybe that's sleep deprivation or whatnot. But mm. uh, like uh, again, that um, uh, there's this man who comes every week. Perhaps I got here thanks to him. 
He says not. Uh, <laughs> like, again, it's just that like perfect like seesaw of like, oh, here's a possibility. This person, like, I'm, I'm getting more information. I, I haven't actually reached certainty, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah. And it kind of goes through all of that. And honestly, maybe this page is helped by uh, the, back, the, the, the form of the podcast where we just read the first page. Because mm-hmm. I feel like ending on the line, it's impossible I could ever have helped anyone. <laughs> like, that's a nice, solid ending line. Yeah. Uh, it does not end this paragraph, of course, but... It remind. I mean, when you asked about reminding us, <laughs> what it reminded me of is uh, there was a there was a BBC kids show when I was young, growing up, called Archer's Goon, um, which I remember really liking. And it it involved a man who lived in lives in a town run by oh, all these are they gods or divinities of of some kind. Anyway, but it's the same thing that it. it in order for the town to keep running, he has to keep writing these pages and they come and take them away and no one knows what happens to them. So it reminded me of that. Yeah. I was going to say like, that's, that's a, like the, the writer who's sort of stuck in a space producing pages and someone comes and takes the pages Mm -hmm. has, I mean, like, I, I don't know that I would say it's a trope, but it's a thing that I've seen a few times and I'm curious what the earliest example is. Is it this? Is everybody referencing Beckett or is there some precedent? Cause like, that's kind of like, it's not exactly Barton Fink, but it's not exactly not Barton Fink. Uh, Alan Wake, the video game series hmm. also has like a similar, like there are pages and they are produced by the writer and taken in volume. Hmm. Yeah. I, I couldn't tell you some English professor. I am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, administration will do that to you, right? That's the, yeah, that's true. Uh, but uh, I do want, like, I don't. There's something like I feel like uh, we have talked about this before, Vin, and uh, there, there's something that I, I really like about. I don't know. I've I've always loved like meta narrative and like is he like the pages that? Let me rephrase that. Uh, is this page that we are reading one of the pages that he is writing? Mm-hmm. 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 Like, I would assume, yes. Uh, like, and I always love that and think like, wow, it's amazing that people like in the, you know, in the 50s uh, invented a meta narrative. And then like, I go back and read, you know, Tristram Shandy or something. And you're like, oh, okay. Right, right, right. Like, we, we've always been doing something like this. Uh, I do wonder about that particular, like that, that particular form of the trope of like, like I'm writing the pages that, you are reading that are the substance of the world that I live in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you're right with that. The, you know, the early novel can be a bit like that when, you know, when you get this sort of epistolary novel kind of straining at it, at the edges of the device, it's sort of, there's somebody coming up the stairs now. They are opening <laughs> the door. <laughs> right, right. That's the, the uh, Monty Python, like, uh, you know, reading what's carved on the wall. Yes. Yeah. Did he write our... Uh, <laughs> maybe he was dictating um yeah uh there is one th- sorry uh i uh uh all over the place today but mm-hmm. uh there's one thing that I, I was curious um so i'm getting well actually vin i'm not sure that you answered this specifically i enjoyed this page yep tom uh enjoyed this enough to read on or felt uh compelled to prepare <laughs> uh it's always hard to know what the Distinction between uh, compulsion and uh, enjoyment, I guess. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, but uh, Vin, how did you like this? 
I think it's a really interesting page. Like, mm-hmm. like it's very compelling. I don't, again, I don't know that I could read mm-hmm. like 250 pages of this just because of how like tiring it is. Um, especially knowing that there are like three or four paragraphs in the whole novel, but like definitely the content of this is very like, I love the like surreal ungroundedness mm-hmm. that comes with Beckett. But like, this makes me understand why at least like in, in the circles that I have existed in my life, Beckett is much more known as a playwright than a novelist because it's just difficult to look at this, mm-hmm. <laughs> but like seeing it broken up both, you know, broken up the way that a play is formatted and performed, uh, changes the way that you interface with the text in a way that I think makes it more endurable. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that, I think that's true. I think that, that hearing it aloud is, I mean, yeah, I, I feel like, cause I like, the late Beckett plays that are like this, that are like somebody's mm-hmm. somebody's monologue existing in the, in this sort of weird state that on the one hand is is tethered to reality by things like ambulances and chamber pots, and on the and on the other hand seems to exist in a sort of abstract plane. But the difference with the plays is that they're really, really short for the most mm-hmm. part. <laughs> yeah, I I find I don't know. Uh uh it's funny, I I'm imagining like a a, a test audience. Uh, reading this, like, mm. uh, if, if I was a test audience hearing this out loud, uh, I'm interested at the beginning. My attention flags a little bit uh, towards the middle, uh, and then it kind of revives a little bit at the end. Mm. Uh, and I think it's a, it's around the part where uh, all I need now is a son. Perhaps I have one somewhere, but I think not. <laughs> uh, he would be old now. Nearly like just just that like that like ping pong back and forth between like like. I think not. He would be old now. Is like uh, to me like a very Beckett and also sort of like uh, Dostoevsky move of like I'll never do this. So anyway, I did it, and uh, <laughs> yeah, um, I, I don't know. There's something uh, kind of loses me again at the uh, the true love was in another. We'll come to that because I'm like I don't know. Now you've you've ruined the illusion in some way mm. that like mm. uh, this is just like your consciousness. Like we'll come to that. Seems like you're planning too much. Uh, well, it, it sort of moves, I think from, a like this page seems to kind of what you were saying about, you know, it, it seems like a, a sort of trope about writing that at the, that at, in the big, in the first place, it seems like it's just an allegory for, for writing, right? He does, he does these pages and someone gives him money and they make signs. I don't understand, which are presumably proofreading marks on, <laughs> on the, on, you know, this guy is an editor of some kind. Mm. But the narrator Malloy won't won't respond to any of his edits because he doesn't understand them, and then it kind of descends into a more concrete space. You know, maybe I have a son. There was this chambermaid. There was also a, there was also the great the true love, um, and it's it. I mean, at least the next bit, the part I read, stays in that concrete plane. It becomes this um, series of you know anecdotes that it's hard to understand, you know, they, they all exist in this weird space where you don't know what's, what's real and what's this kind of poetry of abstraction, you know, but, but it, at least in the, in the part that I read, it doesn't return to this kind of Mm. metafictional pondering. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the, the metafictional pondering was, 
the part that was like, uh, you know, when someone makes a joke and you're like, smile, mm-hmm. and you're like, yes, I see what you're doing there. That's very nice. But like, <laughs> like let's, let's, let's get to the, like the real observations about the world. <laughs> uh, like there's something, especially I, I also had that thought about like, like, you know, uh, uh, what's that? they are marked with signs I don't understand. Anyway, I don't read them. Like, <laughs> uh, like, they, like I, I've been reading a lot of like uh, Lovecraftian, uh, the penumbra of Lovecraftian uh, mythology. Hmm. Uh, so, like, you know, I should be primed to read. Uh, they are marked with signs I don't understand, as like, like the the yellow sign or something mm-hmm. horrific in that way. But I can only read it as like editor's marks. Yeah, like that's the first thing that comes to mind. Um, and possibly just because I was talking to some, uh, some authors, uh, the other day, uh, <laughs> uh, about that, but, um, it does actually raise a side tangent from a craft perspective. <laughs> mm-hmm. Is there anything here that you can, uh, learn like, okay, let's say you're teaching a creative writing course and you give this to your, te- your, your students. <laughs> what is the thing where you say like, and, and, and what you should take away from this is, hmm. Like, what is the, like, maybe there is something about cadence and like that control there. And you could, all, I'm sure you could have a lesson about point of view, right? Yeah. And like, like certainty on the world. But like, is there anything from here that you could, that would inspire your own work? I always think there is about, about Beckett's cadence. I mean, I feel like that's what I like best about him. You know, I don't think I could do this, but, but I like it. I, I mean, I like it more than I want to say things about the meaning of it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But this this very spare, you know, I'm in my mother's room. It's I who live there now. I don't know how I got there. I really like. I like. I I really like how he leavens it with the with the humor. Right? Perhaps in an ambulance, certainly a vehicle of some kind. Mm-hmm. It, you know, another very Beckett. The, the sort of brief infusion of, of, um, kind of scatological stuff, right? I piss and shit in her part. Um, I don't know. There's something about that world that I, I mean, I'm just repeating myself now, but the, <laughs> the, this kind of middle space between a real world that is populated by sort of clown like old men who are, you know, not really necessarily in control of their bodily functions. And then you know, was it? I think Beckett said that he 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 couldn't he couldn't be a writer of of positivity or plenitude because Joyce had already done everything you could do with that. So he he decided he was going to be the writer of sort of negativity and uh, mm-hmm. you know and and hmm. so so that on the one on the one side this kind of investigation of negativity and nothingness, and on the other side this quite funny, you know, almost like a sitcom about old people mm. world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just looking at that uh, quote about Joyce um, okay. on the Wikipedia. It is, I realized that Joyce had gone as far as one could go. This might not be the same quote, but it's related. Uh, as far as one could in the direction of knowing more, being in control of one's material. He was always adding to it. You only have to look at his proofs to see that. I realized that my own way was in impoverishment, in lack of knowledge and in taking away, in subtracting rather than adding. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that probably is what I was thinking of. Mm. Yeah, there's something like, uh, you know, the, the, sorry, it's just making me think about like, uh, I, I used to have, um, well, no, I never heard that. 
when you read Lacan, uh-huh. it is hard to imagine him like eating uh, eggs for breakfast. Uh huh. Like it's just hard to imagine him. Like you, it's just like the stories you hear even about like you know his response to uh, the the student protests. Yeah. It's like yeah, yeah. like I don't understand like. Like, did he ever like look at his closet and go like, ah, oh, there's nothing to wear? Or like, did <laughs> like, I, I just I imagine him looking at everything and being like, ah, oh, well, like the petite objet, you know, says, <laughs> you know, or like, obviously this is a, uh, uh, but um, yes. Uh, and there's, there's something about Beckett where like, it's almost to that edge of like, so, uh, uh, and uh, I love how also like, <laughs> in, in all some ways, uh, in, uh, in various ways, uh, Beckett is infecting our conversation with mm-hmm. Tom. You're talking about how you're repeating yourself. Like, <laughs> of course, that's a Beckett thing in me. I'm I'm starting sentences and not finishing them and uh, going on. Uh, Vin, you seem fine. Uh, you seem un- uninfected. Yeah, you or, don't see what it's like in my head, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the the line um, he, he's talking about taking his old mother's place. Uh, mm-hmm. I must resemble her more and more. Like that. That must in there, like he could just say, I resemble her more and more, but like that would be too definitive, right? Mm -hmm. Also, he doesn't like one of the interesting things I find this page is that he doesn't have a sense of self-image at all, or at least it isn't conveyed to us. Mm -hmm. So like he, he thinks that he must be starting to look like her, but he, or resemble her, but he doesn't have enough of a sense of self to actually know what he is like right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I guess that that that's I, I I'm just curious. Maybe at this point in his career, like all of this comes naturally. But I wonder if there is like, if there is a draft where he said simply like, "I resemble her more and more. Uh, all I need now is a son." Or like, if on the first try it just comes out with like that uncertainty baked in, like to every sentence or mm. you know, a pair of sentences. Mm. That that's a historical question, but I mean, also to to me. And sorry, I, I keep bringing it back. I keep bringing this back to questions of craft because, like, I enjoyed this page, but I'm curious, like, uh, if there's anything here I could ever imitate or uh, be inspired by. Um, except again, like that control of cadence, that sparseness, uh, broken up by occasional prolixity. Mm. Uh, uh, like, yeah, like, oh man, I just, I, I also want to, like, I want to feed this through, like, a. a a word and syllable counter like what is the longest sentence here yeah well it's also interesting like because i think of before i bothered looking anything up it's like beckett's a french writer right i was like is this in translation like oh beckett's an irish writer who moved to france wrote in french Mm -hmm. and then translated his own work into english so like it's like it's interesting how this does kind of feel like of mm. a, a French work and a work in translation in terms of the way that the language is, but like I have to wonder how much of that is just a product of the way that Beckett's own brain works as a person who uh, has adopted a second language to be his primary writing language. Yeah, I mean that's an extraordinary thing. <laughs> uh, je suis dans la chambre de ma mère. C'est moi. <laughs> C'est moi qui y vis maintenant. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, well, je suis dans la chambre de ma mère. Mm. I am in... Yeah, okay. <laughs> so yeah, so definitely, I guess, while he is retranslating himself, he may be working on it. Although, 
He collaborated with another guy, a guy called Patrick Bowles, on the translation of, of this and, and the other two novels in this trilogy. I don't know anything else about Patrick Bowles. Hmm. Does, does, does he just have a name that sounds like other people's names? Well, I, I mean, he sounds a bit like Paul Bowles or Jane Bowles, yes. but, but I don't think he's any relation. You never know. I mean, they were also <laughs> in Paris, right? Yeah. Well, for a little bit. Um, oh, I was going to say something and I've forgotten it. Je dois lui ressembler de plus en plus. <laughs> okay, sorry. Uh, <laughs> You're reminding me a little bit of, of that. Have you seen that Bill Bailey skit where he um, plays uh, the Doctor Who theme tune as French jazz, and then he starts like <laughs> doing sort of schoolboy French over the top of it? Je m'appelle Doctor Key. <laughs> oh, God. Le chef de Dalek, il s'appelle Davros. <laughs> Ah, I never thought about how Doctor Who would sound uh, in French. It's worth it's, it's worth seeking out that sketch. You can find it online. Yes. Well, also we 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 have a newsletter now uh, where we we add additional things. Oh, there you go. You can that'll probably be worth everything. I uh, you know <laughs> better than the whole rest of the podcast will be the opportunity <clears throat> to to see Doctor Arki. Ah. Yeah. Um. Well. So you, you will finish the book, you think? Tom? Yes, I think I will, yeah. Uh, will you read the other, or have you read the other books? I have not read the other books. Um, well, see, I mean, it's, it's hard going, do you know what I mean? It's not, like, <laughs> it's not like fun to read. Oh, I know what I was going to say, because I'm reading, I'm reading George Saunders's book about story, the, the, Russian, the one about the Russian short stories, <clears throat> and he just had a very good bit about when some when something's a story and when it isn't. And I feel like with Beckett, I mean, it's, you know, there's a sort of anti-story quality to, to mm-hmm. all of this that, that makes it very hard going to read because there's not, you don't, you never know where he's going with anything. You never know what the textual details to hold on to are and the ones that you can sort of pay less attention to. And I've, I mean, of course, the answer is probably that one is supposed to pay rapt attention to all of them, right? But, um, but there, there's there's very little in the way of scaffolding to help you through what's mm-hmm. important and what's not important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it's funny. I I, uh, I read and enjoyed this page, knowing that if there was anything that I didn't connect with. Uh, in in whatever way I was connecting with the rest of it, mm. uh, if there was something that I was not connecting with, I could just let my consciousness drift a little bit, and I would eventually come back to the the page at some point. Uh, but it does not feel like he is purposely uh, using boredom in a way that, like, say, uh, Quentin Tarantino sometimes uses boredom in his films of just mm-hmm. like a long shot of like nothing that like is punctuated with uh, something. Um, the the uh, the, the the long part with Jackie Brown and and the gun uh, in in Jackie Brown uh, coming to mind, um, but yes, this does not feel like he is purposely being boring in any way. It's just sometimes something he says uh, lulls lulls me uh, into a certain hypnotic uh, trance. Yeah, well, he's not he, he's not purposely being boring with the text, but I kind of think he is purposely being boring with the structure. <laughs> Uh, again, of like no paragraphs. Yeah, I mean it's it's sort of anti-plot. I think mm-hmm. that he's. Mm. I, I don't think he's sort of deliberately seeking to to bore you as a kind of prank. Mm-hmm. But I think he's interested in what 
prose fiction looks like when it doesn't really have a plot or when it only has the skeleton of a plot to kind of string you along, you know? Yeah. Like I think that if you told Beckett that you were reading this and you realized that you'd frequently been skipping lines because there are no paragraphs, he'd be like, yes, great. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. Like, uh, you, you said that like, you're supposed to be paying rapt attention would be the correct answer. But I think the other equally correct answer is that you're supposed to be paying no attention and just letting it wash over you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Like, um, okay. Uh, do you have a favorite, uh, 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 anti-novel <laughs> or like, I mean, honestly, I don't know that I've ever read, like I, I, I did some, uh, back in school, I, I did some work on uh, last year at Marion Bad, mm. uh, the the French film uh, written or co-written by uh, Alain Robbe-Grier. Mm-hmm. So I've I've read a lot about his novels, like The Erasers and uh, Jealousy, uh, which is uh, if 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 memory serves, like uh, a novel with no characters and just kind of a location uh, being a banana plantation mm. uh, and sort of like the the story is about like an infidelity theoretically mm. uh but it's just like a feeling of like how does this house feel in a way mm. uh and that's always interested me as a concept but again i've never read it uh i don't know that i have any favorite anti-novel uh i remember liking um george Perec's a man asleep which is his one that's in the second person it's not the one that doesn't have a <laughs> But it's not a genre I've ever been particularly drawn. I mean, I'm I I have pretty cheap taste at the end of the day. Like, <laughs> I, I I like a nice plot. Yeah. Um. Also, well, I I, I feel uh, Tom like you have uh, so far uh, signed up for coming back to talk about uh, a man asleep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Simon uh, Seralier. Yeah, I I don't uh, even novels. actually quite know how you pronounce it, but yeah, 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 yeah. Uh. And I'll, I'll throw in, I'll throw in La Jalousie uh-huh. by Alain mm-hmm. Robbe-Grier. And if we, if we ever read uh, George Saunders' uh, nonfiction, uh, A Swim in a Pond in the Rain. Yes, that's uh, I would talk about that. I love yeah. George Saunders. Yeah. Um, but as for this book, uh, uh, does anyone have any closing thoughts? Is there anything we've left unexpressed in a protest against Beckettian style? <laughs> Is there anything? Okay, that's a cheap joke. But. We didn't we didn't talk about, for example, my mother's death. Was she already dead when I came, or did she not only die later? I mean enough to bury. That seems like mm-hmm. a quintessentially Beckett-like line, and very much, you know, that seemed important because it also seems to describe the the condition of the narrator, right? That he's mm-hmm. you know He's also on that spectrum. Yes, perhaps he's dead, but not quite enough to bury. Um so that seemed like an important line. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I mean, I mean, it goes on. For perhaps they haven't buried her yet. Yes, yes. In, in any case, I have her room. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Where is she? Did she come in some kind of vehicle? Did they take her away yeah. in some kind of vehicle? Yeah. And, you know, by the time you're done, it's entirely possible he is the mother the whole time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I feel like uh, Freudians must love this. Uh, <laughs> well, the thing, actually, the thing that that reminded me of, uh, continue our tradition of referencing films by the worst people on Earth is uh, The Tenant by Roman Polanski, mm. which is a film about a man who moves into an apartment that opens up because the former tenant committed suicide. And it spends the whole time like 
trying to figure out if the other people in the building are gaslighting him into trying to in trying to gaslight him into suicide and or like by making him think he is the woman whose apartment it was and like mm. essentially trying to like shift his identity back into hers mm. like oh that's that's an interesting theme and again i wonder if that's a dir- like that could you could tell me that's a direct connection i would believe you i don't i don't think beckett is interested in like plot twists because I don't think mm. he's interested in plot. Like I think he, I think he's interested in, mm. you know. I mean, he is the sort of what do they call it, the implied author. But like, I, I think, I think he's interested in parallels between the narrator and the mother. But I don't think he, because there isn't because logic doesn't work in any kind of literal way in mm-hmm. in his work. Yeah. I, was, I wasn't thinking of it so much as a plot twist as just like the destruction of identity. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. 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 Actually, I glanced it because it surprised me that this was part of a trilogy because the concept of uh, Samuel Beckett writing a sequel seems ridiculous. <laughs> uh, but I glanced at the description of the third, uh-huh. uh, the third book, The Unnameable, mm. and Wikipedia notes the narrator's body is successively described as curled in the fetal position, as a limbless body stuck in a deep glass jar, and as a featureless egg-like creature. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Like uh-huh. there is there's definitely like there's a lot of destruction of the self going on here. I yeah, think. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I, I I can certainly see how uh say um uh, a certain brand of uh French academic uh reading Beckett would also then be drawn to Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh the the unnameable, I think literally being the name of a a Lovecraft story. Yeah. Uh but yeah, there's something about that like like the what what is the condition of man it's like oh it's a it's a horror show of uh, uncertainty <laughs> hmm. well on that note uh, <laughs> any any final final thoughts i don't know i might read the second page <laughs> i suppose i i quite identify with this like diminished idea of the self that beckett has like mm mm-hmm. Feel like in the end, I'm not saying I'm a strange egg-like creature, but like, <laughs> I definitely don't have a huge amount of faith in my ability to like grasp the truth about the the world around me. I think maybe that's why I why I like him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it definitely resonates with a with a 21st century sensibility at this point. I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm thinking. Uh, do you know there? There's a poem I want to say by Philip Larkin. Uh, where uh, the 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 speaker of the poem is a reader, uh, and it goes through um, his life um, reading, hmm. and it, you know it begins uh, a study of reading habits. Uh, when getting my nose in a book cured most things short of school, it was worth ruining my eyes to know I could still keep cool and deal out the old right hook to dirty dogs twice my size. Mm-hmm. Later, with inch thick specks, evil was just my lark. Me and my cloak and fangs had ripping times in the dark. The women I clubbed with sex, I broke them up like meringues. Don't read much now. The dude who lets the girl down before the hero arrives. The chap who's yellow and keeps the store seems far too familiar. Get stewed. Books are a load of crap. <laughs> uh, and there's something about that 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 third verse or uh, the, the stanza of, of like uh, the guy who has given up uh, and yeah. who, whose life has not turned out. Uh, like uh, the the heroic 
uh, or monstrous uh, version he uh, first uh, imagined for himself. Mm-hmm. There, there's there's something of that that third uh, in this. Like, well, I don't know. I write pages. You know, it's kind of like what I did before, but yeah, uh, that I don't know. Yes, maybe maybe it is just being a parent uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that 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 makes this diminishment of the self seem relatable, but. Um. Yeah. Yeah. So the last thing I'll note, because again, I've just have the Wikipedia up, um, and it's uh more thematic to the show, uh, is that uh, it says the novel ends with Moran explaining that boys told him to write the report, and then the line it gives is, "Then I went back into the house and wrote. It was midnight. The rain is beating on the windows. It was not midnight. It was not raining." Hmm. it's like again like i love everything about like the language of it and like, yeah. the mm-hmm. themes it's just the volume and presentation that i think <laughs> is daunting to me right yeah uh well on that note oh, uh, is there anything that you're reading now that you particularly like well like i said i'm reading that george saunders book right now hmm. um which i do which i am very much enjoying are, are 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 you also uh, do do you belong to the online uh, Substack that he's writing? Uh-uh. No, uh, I don't know about that. Uh, I th- I think it is very much sort of a parallel uh, to that that book in in, in that like he's he's uh, looking at certain short stories and talking about it. Yeah. Uh, I belong, and there's like several hundred people. Okay. Uh, uh, and it, it is a little bit like being in class uh, in an enjoyable way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I should check it out. Yeah. How about you, Vin? Anything uh, you've enjoyed recently? Um. In any media? I watched Lodge 49. That was great. Um, which you can find on uh, Hulu. Uh, it's a show about, like, essentially a Masonic Lodge full of, like, normal-ass people who can't get their shit together, but also maybe there is some real alchemy hidden in it, mm. uh, which is very interesting. <laughs> gotcha. Wait, what? Which which streamer would would Beckett be working for if he was alive today? Hmm. Uh, <laughs> I, I get a, I get I get I get a certain Amazon Prime uh, vibe from him. But, <laughs> yeah, maybe uh, so. They did the man in the high castle, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm not a million miles away from from Beckett. Yeah, or like a real prestige HBO. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, they did. Have you seen some years ago? Channel Four did TV adaptations of every Beckett play. Oh, interesting. I think you can, I don't know if they stream or not, but you can get a sort of, or you, you know, when people had DVDs, there was a DVD box set of them. I think I got the college to to buy them at one stage when I was teaching drama. Um, but they're, they're very, they're very accessible and they're like a good, they're a very pain-free huh. way into, into Beckett, I think. Definitely more pain-free than, uh, than Malloy. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, on that note, uh, Tom, where, where can people find you? If they want to know more, um, <laughs> well, if 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 you Google Tom Perrin Huntingdon College, you can find my faculty page. Um, let's see, I'm very occasionally I, I'm not I'm not sort of in the world much anymore. I'm occasionally <laughs> on Twitter at uh, Tell Me Lies Later, but only occasionally, <laughs> and mostly retweeting like funny stuff that other people posted. So, yeah, you can't find me. My existence is is you know diminished.
Thanks for joining us on Dark and Stormy Nights. I've been your host, Ben Blattberg, and you can find me on Twitter at InCatastrophe. And I've been your other host, Finn LeBate. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Reciprocity, and you can find the games that I write at MrReciprocity.itch.io. For show updates, corrections, and occasional bouts of actual research, subscribe to our monthly newsletter at monthly.darknightsreads.com. For everything else, follow Dark Knights Reads on Twitter or visit darknightsreads.com, and we'll meet you back here next time, weather permitting. I was going to say that that's where Becca would really be on, on Twitter. Yeah, like. yeah, 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 yeah. He definitely would. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The gap between Beckett and drill is not huge. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 I will. I will face God and walk backwards, walk backwards into, into hell. Into hell. <laughs> uh, yes.